Giannis, right ankle sprain, out. Brogdon, right foot, out. Miritich, left hand, out. Sterling Brown, right wrist, out. Dante DiVincenzo, right heel, out. Paul Gasol, left ankle soreness, out. George Hill, sore left groin, out. Oh, hey, everyone, and welcome to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. Don't mind me. I was just reading through the injury report for Wednesday night's Bucks games against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Just one game, not plural. I'll get back to that, but for now, welcome to the Bucks Film Room Podcast presented by Brew Hoop. A lot has happened since the last time I podcasted, so I just wanted to run through it all. Some of it will go through very quickly. Others will go into a little bit more depth. I just wanted to touch at least a little bit on each piece of news that has happened since last Thursday. I was supposed to have a guest on the show for tonight, but that didn't work out because of scheduling purposes. Our agents just weren't able to connect. You know, we're busy. We've got a lot of stuff going on, but I'll be trying to do more of that moving forward. I got a lot of good feedback on the last podcast um, with Jackson here about the Philadelphia 76ers. So I'll try to do more of that as far as teams that are up and coming to preview the playoffs, which are just a month away. And we'll get into a little bit more of that back and forth. So as far as everything that's happened, you know, there really has been a lot of stuff. Overall, they set the NBA history with they set NBA history at the win over the Heat, lost Brogdon for six to eight weeks, lost the 76ers, Giannis sprained his ankle, they waved Christian Wood, they signed Tim Frazier, they beat the Lakers, Miritich hurt his left thumb, and they lost to the Cavs. Did you get all that? It, it's definitely been a busy week for the Bucks. Most of it has been negative. Some of it was good, but most has not been very good. So we might as well just start out with history last Friday night they made history they were one of the first teams the first team ever to trail by Twenty points at half and still win the game by fifteen. That was last Friday night against the Miami Heat. The Bucks were down big at halftime, but then came and just had a huge second half explosion. They outscored the Heat by nineteen points in the third quarter and sixteen points in the fourth quarter and ended up winning that game one thirteen to ninety eight. So that was that was a nice way to start the week I know that a lot of people are worried about the Miami Heat as a potential playoff opponent in the first round as it stands now the Bucks still hold that first seed Uh, they are two games above the Toronto Raptors Raptors caught up a game on Wednesday night with the Bucks losing to the Cavaliers which we'll get into toward the end of the show and the Raptors taking down the Oklahoma City Thunder on the road that's a huge win for the Raptors so the Bucks are only two games above the Raptors, but as far as the Heat are concerned, Heat, Miami is in eighth place in the Eastern Conference. So right now, that would be the Bucks matchup. Uh, Miami is one game behind the Nets for seventh and a game and a half ahead of the Magic. So that's a potential playoff matchup there with the Bucks and the Heat, and and I'm not worried about that at all. I know I've heard that some people out there are worried about what that looks like or what that doesn't look like so I just want to put it out there that I'm not worried about the heat the heat ran some zone in that game against Milwaukee which gave the Bucks a little bit of trouble it led to that that deficit in the first half but overall 
Miami just does not have the talent to beat a Milwaukee team, especially not in a seven-game series. I think at most they win one game, depending on how the injuries shake out, maybe two games now, but nothing at all to worry about. You know, they they have a lot of depth. They have, against the Bucks. they had six guys who were in double figures for scoring and then another guy who had nine points. So seven guys with nine points or more, but nobody had 20 Nobody had more than 20 points. Justice Winslow was their leading scorer on the night with 20. So they have a lot of guys who can do a few different things. A couple guys who can get hot and Dion Waiters. Um, but we'll see how that all plays out. I'm not worried about the Heat. I think the Bucks are just too talented, too deep, even with these injuries, that they will be able to handle Miami. Miami doesn't have anyone who can match up with Giannis. I mean, I guess they have James Johnson, yes, but I'm just I don't think that he's a true Giannis stopper. I don't think there is anyone who's a true Giannis stopper. So am I worried about the Heat as a first round playoff opponent for the Milwaukee Bucks? Absolutely not. All right, so that was Friday night that the Bucks beat the Heat. Next, it was on Saturday night, we got a big blow. It was announced that Malcolm Brogdon will be out for six to eight weeks. He tore something in his foot, some words that I can't say. I'm not a medical professional. You need to be a medical professional to say those words. I am not. Therefore, he's out for six to eight weeks, and that would bring them right to eight weeks to bring the Bucks right to the beginning of the second round of the playoffs, depending on how that first round goes. So that's the timetable that we're looking at at. For the second year in a row, Brogdon suffers a late-season injury. Last year, he came back right before the beginning of the playoffs and was rusty, was bad for the playoffs. Hopefully, that does not play out again, but that's the reality. Brogdon will be missing the rest of the regular season, likely the first round of the playoffs, and then hopefully they can get him back then for the beginning of the second round of the playoffs. Uh, Riley and Adam, they talked about this on their Brew Hoop podcast on Monday, so make sure to check that that out. I agree with most of the things that they said. Um, Brogdon is the most replaceable starter in the Bucks lineup. That does not mean that it's a good thing. However, he's the most replaceable between Giannis, Lopez, Middleton, Bledsoe, and Brogdon. The Bucks can fill Brogdon's absence the easiest that does not mean that it will be easy however Brogdon brings a lot of good things he's their best three-point shooter even if his volume is very low he is maybe I would say third best driver on the team behind Giannis and Bledsoe he averages something like 10 drives a game which may not seem like a lot in the grand scheme of things but he did a lot of getting to the bucket and getting those easy baskets for the Bucks. a lot of times when Giannis isn't out there they have a bunch of guys who sometimes struggle to create open shots so they have to rely on three-point shooting which is fine but sometimes they don't always go in so if the Bucks are missing a bunch of outside shots then their offense somewhat stalls and Brogdon was one of those guys who could get to the hoop take his man off the bounce and Get, it, get an easy bucket every now and then. You know, those are always good. So that will be interesting to watch. Mirtich got the start on Sunday with Brogdon out. Uh, the Bucks elected to go big with Mirtich, Lopez, and Giannis in their starting lineup. However, Mirtich also got hurt, which we'll get into here later. So I would guess that somebody like Tony Snell would fill that gap for the Bucks here moving forward. Um, it's... You know, the Bucks have been very healthy all season. Up until the All-Star break, the Bucks were the healthiest team in the NBA. 
a lot of this has to do with luck. You know, it's just bad luck. They're trying to manage Brogdon's load. They were trying to be cautious with him, but these things just happen. In order to be a championship team, in order to win a championship, you need luck. You you need to, one, be a very, very good team, but two, you also need a lot of luck. You need a lot of things to go your way. Not saying that this ends any chance that the Bucks have at a championship run. I'm just saying that you know, sometimes luck plays into this. The Bucks they seem to be cursed on a lot of these things. This is something that just hasn't gone their way. However, in this circumstance, you know, there's a saying that says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is now. That sort of applies in that the best time for Brogdon to suffer this injury would have been at the beginning of the season. However, the second best time is now before they get too deep. You know, there's still time for him to recover and come back for that second round. Better now than in two weeks or right before the playoffs uh, begins. So I guess that can be a silver lining if you want to be a glass half full here. But that's where Milwaukee's at. That's a reality. They're going to have to figure out how to replace him. They have a number of options. They have Tony Snell. They have Pat Connaughton. DiVincenzo, if he can come back, he's he's re-aggravated that injury. He's got some some pain in his right heel, it sounds like, which is nothing to mess around with. So I don't know what that looks like for DiVincenzo, but they have Connaughton. You know, they have George Hill who can play a little bit of that too if needed. He looked a little bit more spry on Tuesday night, and even though he rested Wednesday, it was probably just caution, so he could play a little bit of that too. Connaughton, he's found, he's beginning to find his stroke a little bit more, which is really the key aspect for him because if he's not hitting his outside shot, his hustle is, is, is great and everything. He brings some rebounding, but it's really can he hit that outside shot as a key to Connaughton. Sterling Brown, he's dealing with a right wrist injury. He hasn't played for a while, but if he can come back, he can be another guy who can fill that that gap. And the Bucks will just have to deal with it. You know, every team deals with injury. It's part of the NBA. We'll see how they handle it and they'll have to move on. All right, speaking of moving on, let's go to Sunday. The Bucks lost to the 76ers on national TV against uh, against Philadelphia, obviously. Again, listen to Adam and Riley. They did a great job breaking down this game. By now, it's been five days or so, so I won't rehash everything about this game. I'm sure you're well-versed in how everything how everything went down. The Bucks they just couldn't hit the broadside of a bar. Milwaukee, they, they were awful from behind the arc. Let's see, what was their three-point shooting? It was 16 for 50 attempts, so 32%. So that's something that they really just could not hit a shot. Meanwhile, Philadelphia went 15 for 32, so that's about 47%. So they had the complete opposite issue. Um you know, it is what it is. I'm not worried about this game at all. I don't think that it changes anything. Despite the bad shooting, the Bucks hung in there. They made it a five-point game. You know, they lost 130 to 125. So I'm not worried. This doesn't change my mind or anything about how the Bucks will fare in the playoffs. They could potentially see the 76ers in the second round. However, Philadelphia is getting hot. Last year, they won a bunch of games to end the regular season. They're on a six-game winning streak now. They're pretty firmly in that third position in the East. They are six games behind the Bucks, four games behind the Raptors, and three games ahead of the Pacers. And then they are four games ahead of the Celtics. They... they Philadelphia beat Boston on Wednesday night, and so 
it's looking like the Bucks would not see Philadelphia until the Eastern Conference Finals if either team makes it that far, and that is fine with me. Outside of the Raptors, you know, I would put I would put the Raptors as the number one threat to the Bucks, and I would put the 76ers as the number two threat to the Bucks. However, that's based on a larger body of work. I'm not saying that anything on Sunday changed my mind. Philadelphia, they hit a lot, a lot, a lot of tough shots. Uh, Joel Embiid went off in that game. He looked unstoppable. He hit some. He had some crazy shots. He had 40 points on 15 of 31 shooting from the field. He was 4 of 13 from downtown. At one point, he was in the paint. I think being double teamed by Lopez and somebody else. He kind of faded away. Was on his way down. Threw the shot up. It it went off the glass and banked in. And that was just the kind of night. Jimmy Butler. He also he had 27 points on 8 of 16 shooting. But he hit some incredibly tough shots. A couple times a step back to the three-point line. Milton right there, hand up, hand in his face. Butler just drained it. Butler hits those kind of shots. As a defense, those are shots that you absolutely live with. Good players, good teams, they make tough shots. As a defense, your job is to make life as difficult as possible for the opposing offense. That means that sometimes they're going to make shots are going to hit these buckets however you just got to continue to make it difficult continue to make them hit difficult shots and that's what Milwaukee did for parts of the game they had defensive lapses for sure but for other parts set the 76ers were just hitting tough shots you got to live with that can they do that four out of seven games I say no well maybe they can but Milwaukee's not going to shoot that bad so can Milwaukee shoot 30% from the three-point line, and Philadelphia hit these tough shots four out of seven games. That remains to be proven. These two teams will face off again in two weeks, a week and a half, so we'll get another look at them, but this does not change my mind at all. I still like the Bucs in the playoffs. I still think that this is a fine matchup. Lopez on Embiid. Embiid got the better of him this time. That's what happens when you have a great player. Embiid is a great player. You know they're gonna get the best of of you every now and then, or more frequently than other guys. So I still like this matchup. It does not change my mind. One thing that I do want to talk about in this game is the egregious double flop by Embiid and Simmons. You know this is this is the NBA. At one point, Simmons was driving down the lane on a secondary break, a you know semi fast break, and he shot. He took kind of like a floater. It was contested. I think Bledsoe was around. As he was doing that, Embiid was barreling down the lane trying to get into position for that offensive board because Simmons can't make anything other than dunks and layups. So there's that was sarcasm, some sarcasm there. So Simmons is barreling down the lane, and he's going get trying to get in position. So, sorry, Embiid is barreling down the lane trying to get into position. So Simmons shoots this contested floater. As the shot goes up, Embiid jumps for the rebound. Wilson maybe hits him when he had a foot on the ground, but both but Embiid flops in the air. Simmons flops. It was that you see those those highlights where the guys are teammates are in sync. It was an in sync flop. You got to check it out. You can look it up on Facebook. You can YouTube it. You know it was it was pretty hilarious. Both guys flopped. Embiid ended up getting the call. You know a lot of times when you see a big guy go down, Embiid. Embiid is, I talked about this a little bit with Jackson, he does a good job of selling the calls. I don't know if I would necessarily call him a flopper, but if he feels contact, he will go down. Um, 
The same thing happened on Wednesday night. He said a maybe dirty, maybe hard screen on Marcus Smart, turned his back, knew what Smart was going to do. Smart gave him a good shove. Embiid, however, embellished it, went flying to the floor. He slid, and then, you know, he ended up, Marcus Smart got ejected because of it. So Embiid, he's good at that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, I digress. That has nothing to do with the Bucks. That's just me going on a rant. But great player. You know, it'll be interesting if these two teams meet. All right, what happened after Sunday? I can't even keep track of all this stuff. So Sunday or Monday, the Bucks then announced that they were waving Christian Wood. Wood has been a G League stud for Milwaukee this year, but has never been able to play really any meaningful minutes. And he's been frustrated with that. He's aired some of those grievances out on Twitter, including Sunday before he was waived. Wood was later picked up by the New Orleans Pelicans. That was announced on Wednesday. So that's good news. It saved the Bucks $1.5 million. It got them out of the luxury tax after they announced that they signed Tim Frazier. So the Bucks waived Christian Wood. Moment of silence for Wood. All right, that's probably enough. And then they signed Tim Frazier. So Frazier played in the two games this week on Tuesday night and Wednesday night, and he was a non-factor. He's not going to be an offensive stud. Don't expect anything from there. What he is is he's a body in the backcourt. He plays hard. He brings some extra speed to the team. You see him picking up point guards full court a little bit, 94 feet, and he just makes them work. That's kind of what his role is going to be. When this team is fully healthy, he will not be out there. He's not a guy that you want out there. He's just a warm body. He'll be with the Bucks for the rest of the season. He is playoff eligible because he was waived by his previous team, I think on February 28th, and the deadline was March 1st. So he he will be playoff eligible. Hopefully the Bucks don't need him. No offense, Frazier. Love your effort. I like your work ethic, but you're just not he's just not a guy that the Bucks should be able to or should want to rely on come playoff time. All right, so Tuesday night, Bucks beat the Lakers. Nothing really to see. Middleton had a nice game, which is really great. Um, he had 30 points on 12 of 20 shooting and 4 of 7 from the outside. That's exactly what we want to see, not just the points, not just the box score, but he did a little bit of everything. He had 10 rebounds. He had 5 assists. He really took on that lead role that we want to see from Middleton and the Bucks took took down the Lakers. Um, they kind of they did what they always do, messed around, played with their food a little bit, would go up by double digits, and then the Lakers would immediately go on a run to bring it back down to single points. But at the same time, you know, a win is a win. They were shorthanded. Giannis did not play, so I, I guess I missed that part. Giannis tweaked his ankle late in that fifty-two point game against the 76ers. I think it's more precaution. You know, you don't need him against the Lakers. Lakers announced early in the day they were sitting LeBron. Milwaukee countered by sitting the new LeBron by sitting Giannis. So he missed that game with the right ankle sprain. Bucks won. Um, didn't appear to be any for the worse. However, Wednesday, before Wednesday's game, it was announced that Nikola Mirtic had suffered a slight fracture of his left thumb and will miss at least two to four weeks. <sighs> the hits just keep on coming. This was not good for Milwaukee. Mirtich, he stepped in. He played really well um, against 
the Lakers on Tuesday night. He struggled against the 76ers, yes, but he, he rebounded well and played played good against the Lakers. So this is another big hit, another guy that was entrenched in the Bucks lineup. He struggled. Miritich has struggled a little bit since coming to Milwaukee. You know, his averages are down across the board as far as his points, as far as his outside shooting. He's only shooting 35.6%, but with only 14 games, that can be greatly swayed from one outlier game like he had against Philadelphia. So that his play was very up and down. He was definitely still learning the Milwaukee's offense. He's a guy that I would see a lot of times just doing things that the other players wouldn't on the court as far as offensively. So a lot of times one of the basic sets or basic plays that Milwaukee runs is the guy at the top of the key will continue the rotation. And like if he catches the ball from the left wing, he'll pass it to the right wing and then go back and set a down screen for the guy in the left wing. However, Mirotic would sometimes get confused. He would pass it to the right wing, then go to try to set a ball screen for the guy in the right wing. And that would just kind of throw off the whole flow of their offense. Or if he was in the corner and he thought he could post his guy up, all of a sudden he would take his guy down to the block and just mess up that spacing a little bit. Nothing major. He was definitely getting better as the games were going on, but you could tell that part was an adjustment for him. So we'll see how he handles that when he comes back into the lineup. His time frame is two to four weeks. However, Boonholzer said before the game on Wednesday that they expect it to be closer to that two-week time frame, which is really good. Milwaukee, they need him. He's another huge floor spacer. He can get hot. If he can come back closer to that two-week time frame, he'll be able to come back with time left in the regular season, help get himself reacclimated to the team, to playing on the floor. So we'll see how that all plays out. This is kind of the, that tree analogy that I go back to. Better now with still a little bit of time left where he can come back and get reacclimated into the game instead of doing this right at the end of the regular season. So a little bit of a silver lining there for, you know, I'm trying to be positive here. I got, I only work like three hours on Thursday. Then I'm going to watch March Madness. So I, I have good vibes. I'm trying to bring those good vibes to you guys. So that's where we're at with Mirtich. He will be tough to replace. Milwaukee went with Tony Snell to replace him in the starting lineup. They don't get nearly the same amount of volume in their outside shooting from Snell as they do from Miritich. I, I think that so Milwaukee ho- hoisted hoisted 53 point attempts in Miritich's start against the 76ers. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think you know there's a reason to that. And then they got up 47 three point attempts against the Lakers with Miritich also in the starting lineup. That's not a coincidence, you know. He is a bomber. He loves to take those outside shots. He'll take twice as many outside shots, literally twice as many, if not more, than Brogdon. And so you really add that in there. And then when he's getting more minutes, you know that's only going to go up. So there's, there's, it's not a, it's not a coincidence why Milwaukee averaged 48 and a half three point attempts per game with Mirotic in the starting lineup these past two games. By the way, I just did that math in my head. Yep, yep, I did. So. Milwaukee, you know, they'll they'll miss that. It's another guy who can put the ball in the hoop. It's another guy who, you know, he's not great on defense, but he he's okay on defense. He does enough. He's a scrapper. He will get will sneak in some of those offensive rebounds like you will see, like you see Ursan Ilyasova doing. He's not a great passer, but he can spread the floor. He can knock down deep deep outside shots. It's another hit, another bout of bad luck for the Bucks. 
But what do you do? We can Milwaukee has two options. They can complain, feel bad about themselves, or they can, you know, suck it up and just keep on moving forward and hopefully they suck it up and try to keep moving forward. Moving on to the Cavs game, I think this is a nice little segue. They they just look like they didn't want to be in Cleveland on Wednesday night. I mean, I can't blame them. I don't. I wouldn't want to be in Cleveland on Wednesday night. I, but they they they're getting paid to be there. They needed to take care of this game. They only had eight players available the second night of a back to back. So many reasons to not want to be there. But they just couldn't pull it out. Like that's a game you just gotta grind through. You just gotta figure out a way. Do I blame them for that loss? No. How can you? They had eight players available. They had Pat Connaughton playing 34 minutes. DJ Wilson playing 29 minutes. Are you kidding me? Like you, you can't blame them. But however, it's just a win that you'd like to see them just suck it up, grind it out, gut it out, do whatever you gotta do, beat these dang Cavaliers and come away however they lost the Bucks lost 102 107 they only lead the East by two games now there's a lot of basketball to be played uh, we'll see how this plays out my biggest takeaway from this game Middleton he played well once again he played 37 minutes on the second night of a back-to-back he came out hot he was I think hit his, he hit his first three three-point shots for sure. He may have hit his first four. However, he only finished four or six from behind the arc. He kind of fizzled out. You could tell that he lost his legs a little bit after that first quarter. He he played well enough for them to win. However, he didn't really have that second fiddle. Lopez started out real slow. Lopez came on later in the game. Bledsoe, he struggled a bit offensively. He's still doing, I shouldn't say offensively, he struggled a bit with his shot. He got going a little bit later in the game as well, hit a couple of shots in the paint, was driving, was more aggressive in that second half. However, he's just been in a slump offensively as far as shooting the basketball goes. I won't say too much about that now. I'll save that. He he did play fine defensively, I think. But they just didn't have enough. The Bucks just did not have enough offense Tim Frazier he played 15 minutes didn't score a point it it was an ugly game Cleveland they had Kevin Love back they looked like they wanted this game the crowd was into it the Bucks looked like they were just going through the motions it is what it is it's a loss Milwaukee can move on there's not much to gain from this but like I said it's just one of those games where you wish they could have just sucked it up just for a little bit more and and taken home that W One thing that I do want to touch on in this game is DJ Wilson. I, there's been a campaign going on on Twitter, free DJ Wilson, because for a long time he was buried deep on that bench. You know, he played well for a two month stretch and then fans were, for some reason he went from fans hating him to fans loving him after two months worth of play, um, where he he played well, he he did fine as a role player. He, you know he he's a great hustler. He was active defensively. He hit enough three point shots to be able to stay on the floor. Actually, he hit quite a bit. However, I've been slow to come around on DJ Wilson. I I don't hate him. I try to keep an open mind with any Bucks player and just evaluate as it goes. You know he was definitely swaying my mind and slowly turning me into a believer that this guy deserves to be on the floor. However, he, he his play started to slip a little bit there toward the end of his two-month run, 
And then he was completely buried on the bench when the Bucks acquired guys like Miritich and guys like Pogasaw. And I know a lot of fans were up in the air like, why is Ersan Ilyasova still playing? Ersan sucks. He can't make a shot. He can't play defense. However, Ersan came around more and more as the season goes on. He's still not playing the greatest, but he's more reliable than DJ Wilson. And we've seen that in these last two games. Wilson set a career high with 31 minutes played against the Lakers on Tuesday night and then followed that up with 29 minutes against the Cavs. And I want to keep this positive approach going. So I'm going to start out with his strengths. Wilson was all over the place. He ended up with eight rebounds, five assists, and three steals. I mean, he he was the hustle player that you want him to be. Defensively, he was working hard. You know, he was in there. He had a couple of very nice steals, a couple of nice passes. He battled. Like, he's a hustle player. That's exactly what the Bucks know they're getting out of him right now um, on until or if other things develop. And so I want to give Wilson that credit. I don't just want to bash him here, but he did he did some very nice things across the board, um, except for when it comes to scoring the basketball. Wilson was 1 for 9 tonight and 0 for 2 from the three-point line. And when you combine that with his 1 for 7 night against the Lakers, including 1 for 4 from the three-point line, that means that he's... 2 for 16 from the field in these two games. 2 for 16. This dude just has zero touch. He has zero touch from around the basket, from 5 feet, 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, 25 feet. He has zero touch everywhere on the floor. Even his shots are missiles that clank off the back of the iron and go in the hoop. You know, um, he just... He has some of the worst misses that I've ever seen from three-point line. Like they'll either they'll either go in or he'll hit the other side of the backboard or he'll just bang it off the back of the iron. He that's one thing that really concerns me is even his makes are U G L Y ugly. Ain't got no alibi. Something like that. So that's one thing that concerns me. He that does not seem to have affected his work in the other other areas. So again, I want to point that out is he's worked hard on the glass on defense that he's fine, but he's just a non-threat on offense. His, one of his field goals tonight was an alley-oop dunk. And so that was his only field goal on Wednesday night was an alley-oop. So that's where that came from. However, he had a couple other shots around the hoop that just, he just couldn't get to vary. And he just lacks any touch, lacks any feel. He was a team worse minus 25 tonight. Minus 25. All the starters were positives. Granted, Lopez, Snell were plus ones. Bledsoe, plus four. Wilson was a minus 25. Frazier was a minus seven. Connaughton was a minus 20. So I think that that lack of offensive production just hurt the Bucks tonight. Not saying, not, not pinning this loss on Wilson at all. You know, he's not meant to play 29 minutes. I think at best 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. That's kind of his role at most right now. And I agree with Budenholzer about him not playing ahead of Miritich and Ilyasova. I said it. I, I agree with Budenholzer. I think Budenholzer is right to bury him behind 
Mirtich and behind Ilyasova for right now. He needs to work on that offensive game. He can be a nice change of pace guy if the Bucks get behind, if they want to go to a switching defense. He can be a nice change of pace guy that way. But until he starts to prove that he has any touch around the hoop, until he can be more consistent, he's right to be that fourth. I think I might put him ahead of Gasol depending on the matchups. Not trying to diss him, but just depending on the matchups and what that looks like. Um, so I think that that's that's where he's at. That was just surprising. I expected a little bit more out of him offensively. He did everything else well. I love his energy and effort, but there's a reason that he was pushed to the end of the bench with those acquisitions of the bigs. Again, I don't dislike him. I'm just slower to come around on him, and I want to see him do some of these things for a longer period of time. You know, that's all. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Well, that's all that I have for today's podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room, and I will catch you next time. Peace.